Good morning, everybody. You all well this glorious Sunday morning? Yes? Yes? All right. Wonderful. Okay. Good news. Good news. What I'd like to do today, if I may, is to piggyback a little bit of what Clayton started unto the Lord a couple of weeks ago. I missed when Dwayne was preaching. We were out of town. I loved what Tommy had to say last week. It's the foundation. It's the bedrock of everything just spending time with the Lord. But I want to piggyback of what Clayton spoke about unto the Lord, and um, yeah, I can't do justice to what he spoke about. He just spoke about that we're called as ministers, we're called as servant ministers to minister to people. And he went through every minister has an altar. Gee, I'm going to get this all wrong. You're going to have to help me. Who was listening to that? I've got the notes here somewhere, so I can always go through them. I've got his notes, in actual fact. I asked him to send them. We have an altar. We have, um, if you remember, an altar and an anointing, an area, an action, and an attitude. You remember that? If you weren't here, I would encourage you, please, please go listen to it. Please go listen to it. And then he spoke about some practical kingdom attitudes, about focusing on the ministry, the gospel, not our ministry, hold things in people loosely, be honest and real, stop complaining and be thankful. I'll say that again, stop complaining and be thankful. I wake up in the morning, I say to my wife, stop complaining, be thankful. No, I'm done teasing. And then, <laughs> then learning to recognize when the Lord is at work, and that's what I want to focus on, learning to recognize when the Lord is at work. So do the best that I can. So turn with me in my Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians. Um, do we have time? We're going to quickly go through a piece of scripture here. We don't have a lot of time, so um, yeah. If you go to verse 14, it says, But thanks be to God, who always, always, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us, that's through you, through me, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Through you and I, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of the glory of God. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who have been saved and those who are perishing. To the one where the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? I'm reading out the NIV. You yourselves are our letters, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, talking about the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. It's on the tablets. It's a work of the ministry written on the hearts of people. Such confidence that this is ours through Christ before God, now that we are competent, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, for our competency comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then he goes on to explain the difference between the old and the new. Paul talks about the old, how the old came with such glory 
the cloud and the smoke and the, the mountain shook and the glory of the Lord came upon the mountain as Moses went up. We've touched on this before. Incredible glory, but that faded. But the new will never fade. How much more greater the new, the new covenant? And then he goes on in chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So you'll see in this text that I've read, and I've short-circuited short a little bit, the word minister or ministry occurs a number of times. A number of times. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, it's a ministry of the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3, 7, it's a ministry of life. In 2 Corinthians 3, 9, it's a ministry of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 4, 1, it's the ministry of the Spirit. All those words have the same root meaning, dekonos, which means servant. Servant. Verse 3 in 2 Corinthians 3 emphasizes the work that has been done to serve. It's an action. It's like waiting on a table. You're doing an action. In verse 6, the emphasis is on the person. And in 4 chapter 1, the emphasis is on the heart of the person serving. It's to do with the hard attitude of love and compassion. And it's for the sake of others. But it's all to serve. It's servant. We're a servant unto the Lord first and then to the people it has called us to be. So we are servants serving. It's not about my ministry. It's the spirit who's the source of life, power, not the servant. I say that again. It's the spirit, because it's a New Testament, it's this word of the spirit, it's ministry of the spirit, is the source and the power, not the servant. And the word of God is the life-giving vehicle by which it comes. And so he says, therefore, don't lose heart. And I'm encouraging you, whatever you're going through, don't lose heart. We have been tasked, we have been invited, we have been asked to come and share of the ministry of the Spirit. It's a glorious ministry that will never change. It's, it's a heavenly ministry. It's something of heaven. We are called to be servants of eternal things with eternal value, glorious heavenly things in the normal everyday day to life and normal as we go about our life. But we are called to be those servants. It's an incredible privilege. So I've written here, we are stewards of a heavenly realm. God designed us as vessels through which he can flow. But we are stewards, we are servants of a heavenly realm. Learning to cooperate with him, learning to understand what he's saying and doing. We are powerless by ourselves. We are, as we healed, as we become vessels, they're healed vessels. And as we begin to serve who God puts in front of us, to allow who he is, something of his life, his righteousness, his glory, his power, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, to begin to flow into other people's lives. And it's a wonderful privilege. Turn to somebody next to you and say, that includes you. It does. I promise you, it does. <laughs> it's not just for the super elite or whatever the case is. And so just before Jesus was about to go to Calvary and die and be resurrected, he gave this wonderful, insightful teaching in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. It's a wonderful teaching on the coming of the Holy Spirit. And if you go to John chapter 16... Verse 
So I'm going through this a little fast because I want to get to the main part of it. John 16, verse 8. This is what Jesus said. When he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he, he, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because there's prince of this world, the evil one, now stands condemned. So we see in these simple three verses that Jesus is saying, there's a threefold ministry of the Spirit concerning the unsaved, which the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can do, is to deal with sin, righteousness, and judgment. No amount of pleading on your behalf, no amount of begging on your behalf or my behalf, no amount of trying to help people out or point out their faults is going to help. None. Only the Holy Spirit can bring the conviction that's necessary. But he works through you and I. And so it's learning to recognize that and see that. It is done by him. Notice that the Bible talks about Jesus said, and he'll convict them of their sin, not sins, not plural, one sin, the sin of unbelief. That's what the Holy Spirit's job will do. Because when he, the person is convicted about their unbelief and put their faith in Jesus, their sins will be forgiven. So the focus is on recognizing who Jesus Christ is. And then the conviction will come and the Holy Spirit will do the work. And it's interesting in Acts chapter 16 when the jailer, when Paul and Silas were busy singing and having a praise party and remember the whole place shook and the gates came open and they, all the prisoners got free and the jailer thought, oh, I'm in trouble, and he wanted to fall on his sword. And Paul and Paul, Silas said, whoa, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. And he asked an incredible question, what must I do to get saved? And Paul's answer was not confess your sins. Paul's answer was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. The rest will follow. Righteousness comes out of that. And the judgment is not on people. The judgment is on the powers of darkness to be. That when the Holy Spirit comes and brings life to us, we come to understand that the work of the evil one is vanquished. And so we can live a victorious life. But the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. Amen. In John 3, 6, John 3, chapter 3, verse 3 to 6, Jesus talks about being born again. Most of you know that. And we have to be born again to enter into the kingdom or to perceive the kingdom. And he says, flesh gives, first, gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. You know this. So we see from these verses that to be born again, to become a child of God, a son of God, to become part of the family, to become into the kingdom, to experience the kingdom, we have to be born again. And it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. So all I'm trying to point out to you is that unless the Holy Spirit does it, nothing happens. So we can relax. You can't make it happen. I can't make it happen. 
but as we become yielded vessels and we learn to cooperate with what he's doing and learn to recognize as best as we know what he's doing, we come alongside what he's doing to bring what he needs us to bring into that situation and that person's life at that time. But let him do the work. You understand what I'm saying? Please don't box this. There's timing involved. I believe personally, this is me, I believe personally, that a number of people, when they come up to an altar call and say the sinner's prayer, are not born again then. And then unfortunately, they go back to their seats or go back home believing they're saved, but they are not. And then they try and walk a Christian walk, but they don't have the Spirit of God in them yet. And it's very difficult to do that. It's impossible in actual fact. And then guilt and shame and condemnation comes upon them. And they say, I've tried this Jesus. It doesn't work. That's my personal conviction. I've done it myself, unfortunately. But the Bible does say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will get saved. So somewhere along the line, as they've come forward and called upon in the name of the Lord with sincerity of heart, salvation's coming. Clayton's right. Sometimes then, but sometimes later. Sometimes later. And I believe personally, this is my personal belief, that's why some of the Western churches struggle so much because there are many people sitting within the church that are not saved and trying to act as if they're saved. And then we lean into laws and legalism and rituals, and that's not going to help. Hello? This is my personal conviction. You all look at me like it's crazy. <laughs> but that's my personal conviction, just because of what I've seen through the years. But God is gracious. God hears a person cry out. I cried out when I was six or seven. And the motive was go to a movie. But God heard the cry. I meant it with all my heart at six and seven. My parents wanted to go to driving, my, my stepfather and my mother. And I overheard them. I was pretending to be asleep. And I said, God, with all my heart, I meant it with all my heart. Please, I'll pretend I'm sleeping. Let them come in and wake me up and asked me to go to movies, and I'm telling you, you've heard this story, that would be like snowing in July in this country. It's impossible for that to happen. And I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I meant it with all my heart as a six, seven-year-old. The carrot was movies, but God saw the motive of my heart. But it took 27 years for that to become a reality in me. But he saw the cry. So when people cry out, God says, those who call upon the name of the Lord will get saved. Will. It's a fact. It's going to happen if we genuinely call out. And so there's a process that people go through to come into salvation. And that's what I want to speak on this morning and give some practicalities how you can recognize what's happening. There's an awakening that needs to happen. There's a conviction that comes, leads to repentance Faith is birthed in the heart. The new birth comes, and there's a witness of the Spirit in the person's heart. Then they're born again. Michelle's brother Craig, 
I believe when God generally wants to bring someone to salvation, three things happen. Three things happen. Number one, he allows that unsaved person to be exposed to a sample of his grace through another person's life, just by the way they live, just by the change of life. And that happened with her brother because we were best friends. When I got saved, he saw the radical shift in me. I never preached him, not once, not once. But he just saw the change, and it was a God change. It was nothing that I did. Next thing that will happen, he will put it on your heart or somebody's heart to pray for that person. And I'll never forget, I'd been saved about a year and a half, and one day I was in my study, and the presence of the Lord came upon me, and my heart broke for Craig, absolutely broke. I said, God, you cannot let me go to heaven without my friend joining me. And I wept. My heart broke, and I cried out to God, and I cried out to God, and it's like the burden lifted. He did it. And the third thing that will happen, then God will prompt someone to witness to them. It might not be you, it might be somebody else. It happened to me, be with Craig. They came to visit us about six months after that prayer. They came down from Johannesburg to Cape Town. They came to spend a couple of weeks with us, I can't remember. And while they were sitting there, he started to ask me questions. That's the first sign. That's what I'm coming to, that God is at work when people ask questions. You started to ask him questions, and when people ask questions, just tell them what you've seen and heard, nothing more. Just tell them what's real in your life. And at that point, deliverance was very real in my life. So I told him about casting out demons to an unsaved person, and deliverance and the power of God. And he sat and he asked me more questions till 3 o'clock in the morning. Eventually I said, Craig, I'm going to bed, I'm tired. So I went to bed. He said, well, I'll just stay up. I said, that's fine. And then in the morning, I woke up, and when he got up, he put, he put a piece of paper on the, where we were having breakfast. And he said, there. It was like that. I said, what is that? He said, there. And I read it. And because he's a lawyer, that's the way he thinks. He wrote a contract out to God. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a lawyer. Because he asked me before I went to sleep. He said, can you tell me I'm going to surrender my life, my wife, my kids, my business, my cars, my money, everything? I said, Craig, you got it. I'm going to bed. Cheers. <laughs> That's literally what happened. And he wrote out a contract and he said, God, I surrender. And he named just one thing after the next. And he signed it. He got born again. Three things God will do. He'll allow the unsaved to experience his grace through another person's life. And it's you and I, people. People watch us. They watch how you treat your wife. Don't put impression, it's just a reality. I remember God having to tell me often, apologize to your kids. My kids are five and six, but I had to apologize. I'm the parent, but I'm saying sorry. Because that's the work God does in your heart. And then he'll urge you to pray for them or somebody to pray for them, and then you'll get somebody to witness to them in some way of what they've seen and done. So very simply, awakening. What is awakening? Awakening is when the Holy Spirit comes, and only he can do it, and he comes through people or an event, 
and there's an awareness of their lostness that begins to happen. The Holy Spirit breaks into this person and all of a sudden they become aware that they're lost or they need some. It's like a God consciousness hits their life. How many of you know people, you've witnessed to them and nothing now and all of a sudden you witness, but they're paying attention because the Holy Spirit is busy doing something. Hello? Wait for that awareness to happen before that awakening. Let God awaken something in them. As I said, we can beg, we can command people, even our own children, even our own family, but it's not going to happen. Don't pray, God, get them saved. Pray, God, make them become aware, awaken something inside of them to you. Awaken them, stir them, awaken them. You cannot awaken them. Lord, save them is a possibly the wrong place. Rather say, Lord, awaken them. Cause them to realize their need. If people don't realize their need, they won't realize they need a Savior. Hello? They've got to see their need. And in the area we live in, where people are doing well and fairly wealthy or things are going well with them, a lot of people don't see their need. Just keep loving them. Be gracious to them. Serve them. Help them. And pray God awaken them. Awaken them. Awaken them. And when they get awakened, they become dissatisfied with their life. Their things, their position, dissatisfaction begins to creep in. None of the things that seemingly brought satisfaction are now bringing satisfaction anymore. Something's shifting. Something's happening. This was a two-year process for me. Two years. You can't put a time period on it. For some, it's a short process. For some, it, for me, it was two years, maybe because my stubbornness or hard-heartedness, I'm not too sure what it was. But I remember in this time, all of a sudden, I started to think about God, what I never thought about in my life before. I drive in my car, and I'll be thinking about God. And I actually caught my, why am I thinking about God? I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now. God was at work. We were busy taking youth at that time. And through the youth, and I serve in the youth as an unsaved person, God started to awaken something inside of me. Isn't it interesting? It's like the conscience becomes awake. The next, it leads to conviction. The awakening prepares the heart for conviction. That's what the awakening does. The seed that previously fell on hard soil, now soil falls on the soil that has been pierced and broken. So now the seed can find place to fall. It's interesting for me, Paul, that happened when he saw Stephen getting stoned. This was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul. I can't remember the timeline. Clayton knows it better than me. At the age of like eight, nine, or ten, his father couldn't teach him anymore about the law because he was a Pharisee. So he got him to sit under one of the best teachers of the day, Gamaliel. How do you pronounce it? Gamaliel who was known as the teacher of the law. And Paul sat under him probably for about 10 to 12 to 15 years. He became a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was five years younger than Jesus, Paul. So he walked on the earth the same time as Jesus. He probably heard him preach because he was trained in Jerusalem and Paul, Jesus often went through Jerusalem. So he must have heard about everything about Jesus. Yet his heart was hot was hard, 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 hard. He didn't see his need. 
And we know that when Christ died, he went to persecute the Christians. He went to persecute the churches. And in about a two or three year period, something shifted. When he saw Stephen getting stoned, then he saw the grace come through Stephen, where Stephen said, Lord, forgive them as he's been stoned. Forgive them. That had to pierce a hard heart. And the old lady's knocked off his horse. Nobody could get through to that man. Only the Spirit of God could do that. It's amazing. Billy Graham says this, when we declare grace to sinners, they become gospel-hardened. Because at the conviction, what actually happens is the law, the law, the letter of the law, brings a conviction because they realize, I can't live up to what I'm supposed to be. I'm awakened to something, but I can't live up to it. I'm unable to live up to it. That's what happened to me for a year, for a whole year. I said, God, I need to change, but I don't know how to change. I put in my words, God, I need to change. You're going to ask more, but I don't know how to change. I know I need to change, but I don't know how to change. The conviction was coming. It was a whole year of conviction. Half of me wanted to know God. The other half of me wanted to continue with my life. Very happily married, but still living like a bachelor, unfortunately. In other words, going out every night. And I found when the conviction came, I stopped justifying my actions and my attitudes. That's what conviction does. And during this time, the person, I've... Start to, you start to feel restless. You start to feel a little unhappy. You may even feel a little bit depressed. The person may feel look like they're going through depression. But it's okay. Hang in there. That happens to be your family. It's a time when the Spirit of God is dealing with them about their unbelief towards Jesus. That's what's happening. So they've been awakened. And then the conviction starts to come. And unhappiness comes into their life. The restlessness they're not happy with the circumstances anymore and the amount of money they make in all their businesses. And the next thing that happens, repentance comes. Biblical repentance. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us that before we were saved, each had turned to his own way. We were ruler of our lives. It was my way, my life, my rights. I controlled it. Self-idolatry. I choose how to be happy. I choose how to govern myself. I choose how to please myself. That's what Isaiah tells us. And when repentance comes, that shifts. It's no longer about me. It's about him. That's true repentance. There might be emotion attached to it. It was with me. A lot of emotion attached to it. But genuine repentance is a change of ownership. It's a change of ownership. It's a change of my mind. It's a change of my intentions and directions. And I'll read that something that Paris, Hill, Paris Reedhead said. Repentance means to change one's minds and therefore one's purpose from self-pleasing to an attitude expressed by, Lord, I'm going to please you and serve you as long as I live. That's repentance, a change of mind, a change of intention, a change of purpose, a change of practice. It has no merit with it. Nothing can be earned. No works can be done. Sinners are brought to realize the enormity of their crime. The repentant sinner recognizes that he has lived to please himself and gratify his appetites. Now he has changed. He's, now, he's not striking a deal with God. He's not trying to make any kind of bargain. He simply says, from today, my purpose is to please God. And 
only the Holy Spirit can bring repentance. True biblical repentance. It's not being sorry for my sin. It's being sorry for what I did to him. And I remember the day that happened to me. How my heart broke. My heart broke. Because I saw in my mind's eye, Jesus died on the cross for me. And you know when you are not pleasant to something or pleasant to people, but they just keep loving you back. That's how I felt, but it was intense. And I saw parts of my life go before me, and I just saw the love that emanated from him, because the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's the grace of God, because it's gracious. He just graciously loved me. And my rebellion and my brokenness and my self-idolatry and do it my way and I want this and I want this and I want it this way and I want it this way. He just continued to love me. And when that realized it hit me, it broke me inside. And I just wept and wept. And you know the story. These, 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 it's not tears or whatever you want to call it. Mixed together, just ran out of me. Where just huge strands falling on the floor. And <laughs> but my heart broke. That day, I never, nothing came out of my, life, my mouth about, all I kept saying was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's all that came out of my mouth. As I saw parts of my life. That day I fell in love with Jesus Christ. Didn't understand it like I understand it now. And all I wanted to do from that day was please him. That was my heart's desire. Didn't know how, didn't know what it meant, didn't know any of that, didn't have, never read the Bible. Just telling you, see, it's a work of the Spirit. So wonderful. Godly repentance is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And then from repentance comes saving faith. That's enabled by the Spirit of God. The Spirit takes the events that happened 2,000 years ago concerning Jesus Christ and bridges time so that Jesus on the cross is as real today as it was when he died on the cross. The Spirit of God can do that. It is a personal, all-embracing, accepting of Jesus Christ. And you receive a person. We have to understand true salvation is receiving a person. We're not receiving laws. We're not receiving rituals. We're not receiving dogma. We're not receiving uh, holy days. We're not receiving, we're receiving a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And so saving faith comes. It's repentance and saving faith. And that results in justification or righteousness. It's a legal, divine transaction that took place. For me, it's like the weight came off me. It's like somebody put detergent inside of me, did this, and poured me upside down, and all the stuff came out of me. I'll never forget it. I turned to Michelle and I said, Yo, you look, you look the same, but you look so different. It's like my eyes got opened was unbelievable, amazing, we'll never forget it. It's a divine legal transaction. All the sinner's actions and motives are accounted to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit witnesses to the heart that all, all of his sins have been put on Jesus and he's received from Jesus the righteousness of God. That's what, that's what takes place right there. And you become the righteousness of Christ right there and then. We don't understand it, but that's what happens. It's a divine transaction that's taking place in the spirit. 
And that's if you're born again, that's who you are, people. Don't let the devil lie to you. It's been sealed with his blood. Transaction took place in the spirit and the Lord took his blood and sealed, done. That's what the Bible says. You sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing what's to come. The devil wants to lie to us and help us remember some of our failings or shortcomings. Just remind him of his future. (laughs) And turn the righteousness of Christ will be given to you. This is the truth that became real to Martin Luther. That's what changed his whole life, that truth. And then that leads you to being born again, born of the Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit will come and witness inside of you that you're a child of God. You don't need anybody else to tell you that. He was the one that brought rebirth to you. Let him tell you. The Holy Spirit will witness. I've got about seven, eight scriptures here where it says that the Holy Spirit will witness to you you're a child of God. You need that witness in your heart. You don't need some evangelist to tell you. I know they mean well. Because you need to know it like you know it, like you know it, like you know it. Not because he said it, because he said it. That's what stabilizes in your ups and downs. So there's no formula to this. For me, it was a three or four year journey. For some people, it's an eight year journey. For some people, it can happen in one day. So how do we recognize, oh, suffering catfish, we've got two minutes, all right. So how do we recognize when God is at work in this person? I hope that's all helped you to understand something of the working of the Spirit, okay? So how do we begin to partner with the Holy Spirit and say, all right, Lord, when are you bringing an awakening? When are you bringing conviction? All right, so the first one is go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Okay, you know the scripture for the sake of time. It's verse 13 when Jesus, they came to this area. Jesus asked a question. That's what he did. Then he asked a very pertinent question. And that question led to Peter giving an answer. And when Peter gave the answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Bible says, from that time, you could go read it, verse 20 on, from that time, and only from that time, did Jesus now begin to tell them that he was going to go to Jerusalem, die, be persecuted, and raised. Over the next two chapters, he speaks about it seven times. But he waited for that time. He never told them before. So when God is beginning to work in a person's life, what happens is they ask questions. And we ask questions, and depending on the answer as to what we tell them. Because if they're not awakened, they're not going to receive anything you say. Nothing. They'll be more interested in what's coming down the road or what's on the TV or whatever the case. It's a key moment because it sets in motion the purposes of God. That's where it goes. So when people ask questions, listen. Craig asked me the question. So I knew God was at work when he came to visit us. It's the first time I ever spoke to him about the gospel because he asked a question. 
don't take more revelation across to them than they can carry. Don't try and explain the whole Bible to them. Don't give them an exegesis from Genesis to Revelation, please. <laughs> and I found that when it's with your family, you've got to be a little different than when it's with a stranger. So be wise in that. God will lead you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He really will. If you keep saying, help me in this. What do I need to ask them? What do I need to ask them? So for me, when people start to ask a question and they think they were born again or something happened, I ask a very simple question. When did Jesus become a reality to you? Then I listen to what they say. And if they can't answer that question, then there's something missing. They said, well, I went and gave my, forward, I gave my, I said a prayer. I said, no, 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 no. When did Jesus become a reality to you? And they tell me, and I say, all right, what changed when he became a reality? I'm looking for something. Simple thing, like all of a sudden I want you to read the word. Hallelujah, you're born again, because that cannot happen by you. That cannot happen by the devil. That cannot come from you. That can only come from the Spirit of God. It's a sign. That's why 1 John gives us signs of being born again. So there's no ambiguity about it. Ask questions. And when you ask a question, follow the leading of the Spirit. Matthew 16 asked a question in general, and then he asked a more specific question. And the right question at the right time facilitates the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And this guy is very good at it. I've been around, Clayton, my son. So I learned from him. He has a knack with people sitting in the sauna going into the bank to ask the right question at the right time. But God will help you. He really will. He has a knack about it. It's just a God-given gift, I suppose. I don't know what it is. So listen for questions. Ask questions. It's a sign that God, particularly if people ask questions, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit's at work because they will never ask a question unless the Holy Spirit's doing something in them. Because the Bible says your flesh counts for nothing. In actual fact, the Bible says in Romans, your flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. So the flesh is not going to ask that question. Hello? You with me? All right, next one. Can you give me another hour? Sorry, now I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I really am teasing. <laughs> what did he say? No. <laughs> Josh. All right, go to Mark chapter 5, please. Another half an hour, Josh. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, Mark chapter 5. Okay, Mark chapter 5 is where Jesus goes over the lake. Dwayne mentioned it this morning. Remember, he climbs in the boat and goes over and gets to the other side. He climbs out the boat. He meets this man that was really demonized. Actually, the only man in the Bible that was possessed, totally possessed. And Jesus sets this man free, completely sets him free. It's an amazing event. I love it. I've read it many times. I teach from it quite a bit because it just shows you who's in authority. In actual fact, that's what it does. But an interesting thing that Jesus did, if you read the end of Mark chapter, or Mark chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus said to the man, because the man wanted to go with Jesus, Jesus did not let him go, but he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and has he had mercy on you. It's about the only time that Jesus had did that. 
The, every other time he said, don't tell people, don't tell people, don't tell people, don't tell people, don't tell people. But yeah, he didn't. He said, go home and tell people. Go look it up. Every other time he says, I don't want you to say anything. Be quiet. Don't go. Don't tell anybody. But yeah, he says, go and tell. Why? Because if you go back to verse 17, it says, when the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region, they actually wanted him out of there. They didn't want him there. So by the man going back home into that region and started to testify what God was doing, something was beginning to shift. Something was changing. The atmosphere was changing. Because when Jesus came back to that place, and you can go read, let's go to Mark chapter 7, verse 31. It says, when Jesus left the region of Tyne, went down side and down to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of Capulus, that's the same place, there were people brought to him, a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hands on them. After he took him aside from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. He spat on him. He touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, a compronounced word, which means be open. And the man's ears and eyes were open, his tongue, etc., etc. People were amazed. So this facilitated a miracle coming down. So first Jesus goes into the region, sets a man free. Out, Jesus, we don't want you here. Out. Jesus calls a man who said, I want you to go back to your people, your family, and tell all the people what God has done. And as he's doing that, something's shifting. Jesus comes back to the area. Now they come to him before they chase him away. You see what happened? Because something was changing in the spirit. And as you continue just to testify, simply you go home to your family, the unsaved. How was church today? Oh, hallelujah, thank you. <laughs> I didn't mean you to say that. <laughs> thank you. Oh, okay. You just simply said it was wonderful. The pastor said this, or somebody said this, or gee, just the presence of God. Don't have to be long about it. Don't have to preach the whole sermon. Just tell them what touched you and leave it at that. Next time you go have lunch, how was church today? My, this time this happened. Next time, how was church today? Who knows what I'm talking about? Something will begin to get inside of them. Something will begin to shift. I'm telling you, they're going to lie in bed at night and think about what you said. And then the Holy Spirit starts to awaken them. Then he brings conviction to them. Then you go and visit. How was church today? And you start to speak and they start to ask questions. Aha! Now we recognize God's at work. Because now they ask a question. They never asked a question before. Now give them a little more. Hello? We're learning to recognize with what he's doing. I got saved, and it's not because of me. And Michelle and I sat down one day and counted how many people in our family, an extended family, got saved. It was 30 over a space of 15 to 20 years. 30 got saved. 30. Cousins, second cousins, uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters, just one by one got started to deal with them. And you know what? We never preached to one of them. We just answered their questions when they asked. 
God can do it, people. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict them of sin because they don't believe in me. He will convict them of righteousness because I'm going to the Father. And he will bring judgment to the evil one, the Holy Spirit. So when you're able to continue, tell people what you've heard and seen, tell them that God is good and it begins to change an atmosphere. That's what it does in a person's heart, in their life. We've got two or three more. Can we hang in there? Let's go to Acts chapter 14. I hope this has been helpful, people. And then we'll get practical, a little bit more practical. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra, there was a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up in your feet. At that time, the man jumped up again. When I first read it, I thought, what did Paul see? What did Paul see? Paul saw he had faith. What did he see? Go to Acts chapter 16. Go to verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went out the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place to pray. That's Paul and his companions. We sat down and began to speak to a woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, dealing in purple cloth from the city of Tiretha, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart. I have underlined that. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So Paul saw faith here. And as he's talking, the Lord opened a heart. So the next point is very simple. Careful observation. Watch people. When you speak to them about the things of God, watch how they're responding to you. Are they paying attention? Or are they just saying, I wish they would finish? <laughs> well, I'm just being real. That people are like it. Don't they understand the football's on? I wish they would get finished. Watch them. Watch how they're listening. It's very key. Observe people. Don't force it. If they're not listening, don't say, are you listening to me? Just let it be. Just let it be. It's not going to help. I mean, I've been there. That's why I can recognize all this stuff. How people listen or the attention they give when the things of the Lord are spoken are key is their God consciousness. Some people are not God conscious. They're just not God conscious. Holy Spirit has to do that work in them. So listen to them. Be aware of them. And I found over a period of time, I do this when I go to minister in churches. When I walk in, I'm looking. As I walk in, I'm looking. I'm looking. I mean, I'm greeting people, I'm saying, but I'm looking. I'm looking with another set of eyes. And what I've found is the Lord captures your attention on one or two people. As you talk to them, it's like he just captures your attention a little bit more. And I've learned to recognize the Holy Spirit wants to do something. That's what he does. He just captures your attention just a little more. It can be very subtle at times. Or as you're looking at them, something just arises inside of you as you're talking to them. Who knows what I'm talking about? That's the Holy Spirit at work, people. And he's bringing us into the privilege of partnering with him, that's all it is, to do what he wants to do in this person's life. 
And all he's saying, will you partner with me as I begin to work in this person's life? You're not the source, Ken. I am the source. But I need you to partner with me. And that's what begins to happen. And so just be careful observation. Next one, Acts chapter 16. Verse 16. Acts 16, verse 16. Once we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. It's very simple. Interruptions. They were on a place to pray, interestingly enough, two or three times it happened, and they were interrupted. And Paul learned to recognize there was something happening here in the spirit that he needed to deal with. When you interrupted, just say, Lord, is this you interrupting my day? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? I was sitting at home. This is all, I think I've told the story. Forgive me. Michelle wanted to go to Walmart. And she said, will you join me? I said, oh, no, you're crazy. I don't want to go to Walmart of all places. <laughs> he wants to go to Walmart, I mean, and just push the trolley around. But anyway, whatever the case is. But I often do that for my precious wife. Or we just in, sometimes just sitting up chatting. But as I said no, I felt God say go. So I thought, okay. So I went, and she said, well, I won't be long, just sit in the car. So I said, okay. I sat in the car, and I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> and as I'm looking out the windshield, here's a young lady with the bonnet of a car open, and she's inside of it, and she's trying to do something. The hood, sorry, the bonnet. That's a South African term. The hood, sorry, thank you. And I just had this feeling I needed to go help her. Now I'm a guy, she's a young girl, just, whoa, hang on a minute. This is. So I stood a little distance and said, can I help you? Then I saw she had the battery out of a car and she, was, she said, well, I went to Walmart to buy a battery because my battery, but it's the wrong one. And I don't know what to do. So I said, um, where do you live? She said, a distance from here. So I said, can you phone somebody? She said, yeah, I'll phone my dad. So I said, phone your dad. So she gets her dad on the phone. Tell your dad that I want to help you, and I'll go into Walmart and get the right battery for you, just so there's security there. So I go take the battery, I go back to Walmart, I get a slip, I change it, I get the right battery, come back, and I put it in the car, and she thanked me profusely. And when I got in my car, I realized that's the very reason why the Lord wanted me to go to Walmart. Simple little thing, just serve. Well, my wife knew that, yeah, okay, that's why she said, that's why she said, come to Walmart, yeah, that's my wife, yeah, my wife knew that. That's why she took a long time shopping while I sorted this thing. <laughs> All right, so interruptions, sometimes we get interrupted, just be aware of it, just that's all I'm saying, just say, Lord, is this you? That's simple. And then two more things, and I won't go along with this. Recognize other people around you. I've got your teams and recognition of gifts and callings on other people. Sometimes I speak to somebody that means nothing. I need to take them to somebody. Sometimes you're not sure of the answer. Invite them to church. And then just come and introduce them to somebody who can speak to them. And hopefully something, the divine transaction begins to take place. We, we need one another. I don't have what this person needs, but God's doing something, I'm aware of it, so I need to take them to a place where somebody else can help them. 
Hello? You with me? Just be aware of it. Paul did that. Barnabas went and got Paul so he could carry on preaching. He realized there was something on Paul's life that he didn't have that he needed to go into those churches to do. All right, because they need somebody else's voice. And then the last one, Luke 11, don't turn to you. It's a very simple, Jesus is praying. He tells a parable about prayer. So you've heard somebody preach, preach on it before. And Jesus tells a parable about this guy sleeping. Somebody knocks at his door. He wakes him up at midnight and says, listen, I need some bread for my, my friends. And the guy that's been woken up says, I can't give it to you, but hang on a minute. I don't have what you need. Let me go next door and ask this person for it. Then I'll come back and give to you. And Jesus tells a parable. And right at the end of the parable, he says, so if you are evil, as good fathers know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? So what is he saying there? Sometimes you get to a place where you don't have what is needed. And what it does is it drives you back to the Lord onto your knees and you begin to cry, God, I need to help these people that don't have what they need. And then God gets you on your knees and you begin to, because that's the parable, and you begin to pray. Lord, what, how, pray. Your heart breaks for this person. That's what he takes you through. It's a price to pay. Somebody paid a price for you to get saved. Guaranteed. And so, conclusion, pray for an opening. Be a little more intentional. Ask the Lord before you go to bed tonight, Lord, is there somebody that I know that is unsaved you want me to start praying for today? And as often as you remember, pray for them. Lord, awaken them. Awaken them. Let them become, let you become real. That's what I pray. Let revelation come, Father. Let revelation come. Let revelation come. Be intentional. Be intentional. Keep praying for that person. Keep praying for that person. George Muller prayed for five of his friends. The guy that helped with the orphans and fed the orphans. Miraculous, wonderful man. Four of them got saved during his lifetime. Some one year, five years, ten years, fifteen years. The last friend, and he got saved. George Muller died at his funeral. He got saved. Prayed for them every day. I encourage you. Be intentional. The Lord sees it. Ask him. Ask the Lord. Lord, when I go out today, arrest my attention in what you are doing. Let me not just get caught up with what I'm doing. So reach out. Look out. Lift up your eyes. For the harvest is ripe. There are people everywhere around us. And God has positioned us as we partner with the Lord in every normal, natural ways. The ministry is put within us will turn people's hearts and lives towards the Lord. Reach out. Look up. Reach out, look up. I encourage you. Hope it's been helpful. Bless you, whoever was.